Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the Venture Fizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. For the 86th episode of our podcast, I interviewed Christiane Lemieux, founder and CEO of The Inside. Christiane is a design entrepreneur with many accomplishments. Outside of starting companies, she is an author of multiple books and has been featured on TV as a co-host and judge on Ellen's Design Challenge on HDTV. As a serial entrepreneur, her last company, Dwell Studio, was acquired by Wayfair in 2013, where she served as the company's executive creative director. The Inside is a venture-backed, digitally native home furnishings brand. The company is disrupting the way consumers buy furniture with a custom made-to-order approach that offers world-class design and limitless selection. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like the two new books she's currently working on, her background story including a deep dive into her first company, Dwell Studio, and its acquisition by Wayfair, all the details on the inside and our thoughts on building a consumer brand, advice for non-technical founders who are building a technology company, her thoughts on selecting the right investors for your business, plus a lot more. Okay, quick side note, what is the best way to stay connected to all the amazing job opportunities across the New York tech scene? Well, the answer is simple. Sign up for our job alerts email. It is a daily email that features the latest positions from our job board, which you can customize based on the functional area that you care about. Keep pushing your career forward by signing up at venturefizz.com backslash email. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Christiane. Christiane, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited. So I'm excited to get into lots of details about your background and your journey as an entrepreneur and all the great things that are going on at the inside. But um, I'd love to talk about a project you're working on right now. So you're actually writing uh, not one book, but a couple books right now. So, so tell writing, me about that. I'm writing two books, which are being published. I mean, very different books, mind you, but uh, that are being published in uh, 2020. So I'm writing a business book. Um, on uh, entrepreneurship, on uh, startups, and, and basically the sort of underlying philosophy of the book is that I started a, a, a company, I guess, 15 years ago at this point, a company called Dwell Studio. And it was, you know, I built it out of my living room. It was a, a real kind of bootstrap scenario because back then there wasn't the access to venture and the sort of idea that people would invest in your businesses. Um, there wasn't really the, you know, the internet of selling things either. So, you know, or basically- co-working spaces where you could just have an office magically. <laughs> I mean, or magically have an office or, you know what, the cloud where right. you didn't have to have a server room and, you know, all of these off the shelf uh solutions to just underlying business problems, right? That just didn't exist. So I, you know, I was by myself in my apartment, you know, couldn't afford a light box, sketching on the window. Um, I started this company and at a trade show, like that's what you did. That's how you got out into the world. Or, you know, you, you passed a, a, a press release under somebody's door at some, in my case, shelter magazine and hope hope they just like what you did, but there was no way to communicate with them directly. And I mean, that, that is, that is, you know, 15 years, like a generation. It's not even, it's just, it was yesterday. It feels like to me, you know, I had an AOL account. Um, um, I was a very early adopter to technology, so it, it, it felt right to me, but it was, you know, like it, what seems like the stone ages now, like these kids these days, they don't even know, what, you know, they don't even know what a fax is. Right. So, yeah. So, and I mean, it's, you know, that was just out of college. It really, to me, doesn't feel like that long ago. Yeah. Um, and so I, yeah, so, so 
I take that experience and then, you know, you run it through sort of the, the lens of what's happened in the last 15 years, which is game changing in every single way, you know, sprinkle in the financial crisis um, and outcomes, you know, out of the other side, I realized that had I written a book in 2000, when I launched my first company, I would have to burn it today. Like it would be completely, I mean, obviously they're, you know, working hard and being passionate. Like there's some underlying things that would be very important, but how you start finance, capitalize, think about growing a business has completely changed. And so that is, that is the book. And so I, I, at this point, I think I've, I've interviewed um, about 60 entrepreneurs in the kind of startup-ish space, large and small. Um, and all of that learning is going into the book. And there are you know, a couple of themes that keep bubbling up to the top. It's pretty interesting. So um, I hope it will be a lot of things. I hope it will be really illuminating for incumbent businesses. I hope it'll be really illuminating for you know, kids that are going into college thinking about entrepreneurship. I mean, there are some new business principles that you, you know, that are sort of being written on the fly that we sort of want to put into writing. That's great. That's a yeah. powerful resource. I'm looking forward to once it's published. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool what's bubbling up like consistently across all these entrepreneurs, across all of these, you know, different industries. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And what's the second book about? The second book is, is, a, is an encyclopedia of important furniture. So it's... <laughs> so that's on brand. <laughs> yeah, that's on brand. I wrote my, my, the, so I've written two books prior to this. The last book I wrote was called The Finer Things, and it was really an encyclopedia to the decorative arts. Um, and, and it actually sold very well. So I was handed another encyclopedia, it, it, encyclopedia light. So I think it's like a beautiful visual book, but it also gives, you know, takes you through the, the, the history of important design sort of through the lens of modernism. So from the industrial revolution on. Got it. Well, let's yeah. rewind the clock a bit. So wh where did you grow up? Uh, what were you like as a kid? Was, you know, this entrepreneurship side of you, was that always kind of part of your DNA as a child? Isn't that an interesting question? Um, so I, I'm Canadian. I grew up in Ottawa, Canada. And um, I, I, yeah, I think I was like, I, I was a hustler. And so I, you know, I, I, I always had some kind of, thing going on. I think it was less about money in my case and much more about creative expression, right? So, you know, when I think about sort of the, the, the totality of who I am, I'm fairly certain I had undiagnosed ADHD. I'm fairly certain that I'm on the spectrum for dyslexia. And so, you know, all of these like, now that I've researched, all these things go into making people that end up being interestingly highly creative because I think they use visual solutions to get to figure out their navigate their way through life um, and so you know that to me it was all about the the sort of creative endeavor and that's how I could express myself you know it's for me in in the best way so I was always you know starting fashion companies or I don't know you know I always had some sort of ski redoing my parents bathrooms <laughs> you know <laughs> decorating their house um so I always I was always up to something in the creative realm um and I'm a haphazard entrepreneur but a, like I think a you know a, a passionate one so I uh I came to New York City to go to Parsons School of Design so I got an undergraduate degree in in, in Canada in art history, which is very applicable to this, talk about visual learning. Um, and then I came to the US to go to Parsons School of Design and I graduated um, and I had this strange opportunity. I graduated with a fashion degree, but I think, you know, I think creative 
endeavors, whether it's fashion or food or interiors or graphic design or film, they're, they're kind of all related because it's about a fundamental point of view, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So studied fashion and then had this opportunity. Uh, another fellow Canadian of mine um, was engaged to be married to a gentleman who was in venture and he had bought a, a furniture store here in New York or a lifestyle store called Portico. And he was basically like, I bought a store. I don't know what to do. We're, you know, we're, we're almost like the first marketplace, right? We have this, this, this beautiful chain of stores. We're not selling online, but we're curating other, pe other people's pro product into the assortment and we're selling it. And so what I want to do is figure out how to make more margin. So what if I start importing directly? Right. And, you know, it's not a novel idea. People have been doing it forever. I think curated, you know, uh, imported designs at a boutique level was sort of interesting. So he put me on a plane and he sent me to China to start like to start sourcing products. So I did it. Um, and then I tried a few things. You know, once my designs hit the floor, they were clearly resonating. There was kind of to me white space in the market for this, you know, mid-century aesthetic. So this is before this became a, a very widespread aesthetic. And so I thought to myself, wow, like I designed some stuff and I made it and it sells. I should start my own company. So, so <laughs> I did. Light yeah. Bulb off. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I did. Um, and I, you know, I had, I, I did not go to business school. I didn't even know what a purchase order was. I quit my job. I started working out of my apartment. I leveraged the supply chain that I had, you know, developed with my employer. So I had really good factory contacts. Um, and my first lucky break was one of my friends from Portico went on to work at Crate and Barrel. And so she basically said to the Crate and Barrel team, hey, I know this girl who's a designer who's doing some really interesting product that would fit well into our, your assortment. Why don't you talk to her? And so I met with Crate and Barrel. And what I did was I started a private label division of the company. And that private label division of the company ended up being the venture funding for the brand. And so that is how it got started. So, you know, no money, bootstrap, but, you know, I had a couple of things in my arsenal that were, that, you know, were able to help me get off the ground and that's how we got off the ground. And obviously you have this major retailer, Crate and Barrel, right? So that's just name recognition, which I'm sure once, you know, you obviously over deliver and, you know, yeah. service them to the tilt. Uh, and then I'm sure that, cause obviously after that, you know, you work with some other just major. You yeah, know, yes. And well, that was, yeah, that was a calling card. Right. And so once I could show, you know, once I could show that I could deliver the goods, so that I could design product, I could have it manufactured, I could ship it effectively. I could get it into their stores. Then I went out to everybody. And then, you know, the big, you know, the, my big inflection moment was um, I had probably had two when we started to do this kind of mid-century aesthetic for baby and kids, I mean, there was nothing in the market at mm -hmm. that point. And it was the first, this kind of this first wave of designer baby. So we got to start this trend and then ride it. And then probably three years later, because we had started this trend and we're riding it, we got, the, we got a phone call from Target. And so we started to do Dwell Studio for Target. And then, you know, like just like Wayfair, talk about being dropped into somewhere and then learning so much. Like I just, I would just sit with my eyes open and, and, and take it all in. So, you know, we, we, not only did we design and license our brand to target, we also uh, manufactured and imported for them. So it was a very, very big, very steep learning curve, but it was, it was really exciting. So if you went into a Target store, you would see Dwell Studio and then obviously all your yeah. uh, different products. Wow. Yeah. yeah. 
And this was during the economic downturn too. So uh, timing was key that a brand like Target was on board with you. I think, it, I think that that's probably the bridge that got us through um, because we were at a Target between seven and 11. And so I remember like, you know, 2007 were like the glory days for Dwell Studio. We had, you know, we had, we had acquisition offers. We had Ernst & Young in there. We were going to take an investments. The valuation was great. And then, you know, the music stopped. Right. Um, and I think that, yes, having our, our brand in Target and performing very well was probably the thing that, you know, got us through to the other side. Um, but it was not, that was not fun. I remember, I remember standing at the New York gift show, which is where, you know, everybody in, in New York now, the design section is where all the sort of my cohort lived, the, you know, the design brands. And it was January of 2009 and there was nobody there. Like everybody had canceled their trip. There were no attendees. Nobody was going to have an open to buy. No one was going to spend money. And I remember looking around all the vendors, all the other companies were like, it's over. Like the whole thing's over. Mm -hmm. um, Oh yes, the target dollars were good at that point. <laughs> yeah, it was a horrible time. I remember it well. It was just survival. Yeah. Um, but then another fundamental shift. There was there's all these different categories that naysayers were like, people will never buy that online. Home furnishings being one of them. So at what point did you see this fundamental shift of you know the consumer adoption of of making purchases like um, that on digital? Yes. So you know, um, so sort of post target. We decided to go up market, which I think strategically was a very good idea. Um, and what we did is we started, you know, we started old school. So we, we had a website, you know, which we built on Magento because at that point there were started, there were starting to be backend solutions. Um, and we, and we were really great at visual assets. So we started a catalog and we sent the catalog out and, you know, we would see the catalog would go out and then it would either drive traffic to our, our, uh, our, wholesale accounts or largely people came back to us and wanted to transact online. And that was when I was, wait a second, this whole, this, this is over. This, this, this everything's changed. Mm -hmm. Every single thing has changed because also after the financial crisis, um, so many of the specialty stores that we sold to the really beautiful mom and pop stores, a lot of them didn't survive. So, I mean, I, I don't know the exact statistic, but it went from 800 and something stores down to 300 and something, something stores. Like it was, it was terrible. Um, and, and so it also became like, wait a second, you, you kind of want to control your own destiny at, at a certain point, you know? So, so being beholden to, to only to wholesale accounts is kind of scary. So we, yes, yeah, so we put up the catalog and we saw the traffic start to move online. Um, and the categories that we were in that we were selling directly were easy for online. So, you know, whether it was decorative pillows and bedding and Text, we, did, we did largely textiles because they were the easiest to ship. Mm -hmm. um, but then we also, you know, then we, we brought all our licenses on, on, on board and we were shipping furniture and all those other things. And we were watching it, you know, we were, we were watching the internet of furniture take off. So I remember we, we, you know, we put up our Cooper chair, which was this really beautiful sculptural chair. And as we were uploading the SKUs, people started buying it. <laughs> so that was the, that was the tip off to me. Um, and so the sort of the rest is the rest is history because basically I realized that um, I had built uh, a really old school brand based on um, you know wholesale the wholesale channels catalog um, I'd opened up a retail store in New York and that was doing very well um, so I had all the signals but I realized that if I was going to continue 
in, in that direction. First of all, I was building a baby Williams in Sonoma. And second of all, it was going to take me a whole bunch of capital because stores are expensive. Catalogs are expensive. You know, that business model is expensive. And you're talking about a category where, you know, unlike some other things like makeup and fashion, there isn't an 80% margin. You know, it's, it's, it's much more in the 50, 60%. And so when you think about just the underlying business fundamentals, it, it, it just, I needed, I needed somebody who understood e-commerce and understood it well. And, you know, was, was in with the same philosophy as me that this, this product category was going to move online. And so and is that what led to the acquisition by, by Wayfair? Yeah. So I, I, so once I made that decision, the other thing is like as an entrepreneur, and I think this is, you know, this is, I had to grapple with this for a while because you start this company and it's a really beautiful thing and you can keep, you know, you can keep digging in and digging in and digging in. But what I, I realized is I, I, the thing that I was digging into wasn't going to be the right thing you know, in the future. So what I didn't want to do was bleed all the value out of the company and have nothing left because I kept digging in because I was pursuing a, a I was pursuing a, a business model that wasn't going to work. So I stopped digging in. I hired an investment bank and I was like, look, I have this beautiful asset. Here are the 15 people who are probably going to understand it. And she went out and talked to everybody. And, you know, we got pretty far down the line with a bunch of really interesting people and spent a lot of time talking to Williams and Sonoma, spent a lot of time talking to Crate and Barrel, spent a lot of time talking to, you know, some of these larger licensing companies that would take a brand like this and just license it out. Yeah. So then I, I, I talked to Neeraj and to say that, you know, he's a, to say that he's a smart guy that understands e-commerce would be an, an understatement. And I realized after talking to him and meeting with his team and seeing what they'd created that Wafer had this platform that was built specifically for home furnishings, that was so unbelievably sophisticated. You know, to say that Nier just understands this category is an understatement. I mean, I think he basically created online home furnishings, you know, selling online home furnishings. And, you know, the way he did it was genius, you know, with all of his different, all of his different URLs and then collapsing that into Wayfair. And, but he also, he, I think he understands fundamentally that, logistics are such a big part of this and you know so much customer satisfaction is tied up in your ability to ex to execute on the logistics side that it just seemed to me like the perfect the perfect fit and also like frankly I, i'm a creative and i'm an entrepreneur and i'm i'm not a i'm not a shipping expert i'm not a logistic you know i'm not an ops person and so i realized that you know I, I, that, I would have to spend a lot of my time doing that if I was going to do it by myself. And so it just was, it just, you know, there, there's nobody better in this category than Wayfair. Yeah, no, they're an amazing company. And obviously it's such a important piece to the Boston tech ecosystem. And you were there, you know, your company was their first like acquisition. Like, I mean, they just bootstrapped and eventually, you know, did raise capital and went public, but uh, it's, it's really amazing what they've built. And then like, you know, part of what, uh, you know, your background, so you, you know, they've had these great partnerships too, once they decided to build Wayfair into a brand yep. of, uh, you know, partnering with HDTV and you see Wayfair all over the, that, that channel, which is amazing. So, you know, what, what was that experience like as far as, you know, partnering up with, uh, you know, 
a network and uh, helping you know build a brand. And obviously, you were you know on camera quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, so that was that was fascinating to me. I mean, first of all, the whole IPO process was fascinating to me because they bought us in October of thirteen, and then IPO. I'm sorry, August of thirteen, then IPO in October of fourteen. So even being part of that was amazing. I mean, just the whole the whole process of of sort of everything they did. Um, I think the HGTV thing is a you know a fundamental part of the business. I think that they they realized very early on that television. I mean, they're, they're sort of they're in every kind of marketing channel, but the television was a was a very powerful marketing channel because this is very much a visual you know this is a visual game. It's a it, people get in. It's a home furnishings are considered purchase, and people need to be inspired to buy them. So. You know, putting it all out there in HGTV where people could see this on a you know twenty four seven basis was a very very smart decision, um, and I think that they very cleverly integrated product into television shows too. So I was yeah the the judge and the host on the Ellen's Design Challenge, and we had a Wayfair wall, and the designers would pull you know would pull items from from the Wayfair wall to merchandise their final presentations, and so Wayfair got to be in a lot of camera shots and which was great it was because then it's like oh wait this is a great design show and ellen DeGeneres is attached to it and wayfair is providing all of this product it's it was a really beautiful integrated advertising without being you know in people's faces too much very well, smart Let's fast forward to today obviously the inside is uh you know your serial entrepreneur it's your latest company what's mm -hmm. the inside all about the inside is direct to consumer, personalized or customer personalized or custom or personalized home furnishings. I call it personalized home furnishings because I think um, online shoppers are are very custom can be a scary word, and they're very familiar with personalized products. And so, you know, part of my thesis is that um, going forward, these these consumer companies that are personalizing for people are going to win because. If you're gonna buy, why would you buy an off-the-shelf vitamin if you can get one sent directly to you that's been personalized for you? Why would you buy hair care off the shelf if you can get hair care that's personalized for you? And it's not like the price delta is gigantic either. So I think it's a really, really, really important sort of macro trend. And I mean, why would you want to buy, why would you want a, a, a personal space, your home, which is a very big part of your life? if it wasn't personalized for you. And so that's really the sort of underlying thesis. I want to digitize decorating. Um, and that's the, you know, that's the 30,000 foot and we have all kinds of supply chain innovations and we're able to take care, you know, take advantage of technology and you're right, you know, co-working spaces and cloud storage and all the things that we never had access to before we have access to now. And that's made this, um, that's made us, you know, have this incredibly interesting, super, you know, our, our, our secret sauce supply chain that allows us to do this really efficiently. But it's really fun, too. And, it, and this time around, it's, it's a digitally native business that you're starting from scratch versus yeah. the last business. And, but you spent a good amount of time, like a year and a half, building the foundation. Like you said, the supply chain, the secret sauce. So it wasn't like you just flip on an e-commerce site with Magento and you're like, let's go. It, 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 there was a lot behind of building a foundation for hopefully success. Oh yeah. Well, because I think you can't flip on a website anymore and go at all because there is so much noise and it's so hard to attract eyeballs and you have to be very thoughtful and the underlying business premise has to be this, you know, has to be really sound. It's also expensive to advertise now. So you have to be, you have to be so scrappy 
And, um, you know, it's funny, I talked to um, the founder of Hymns, and, you know, their, their sort of success is, is, is pretty astronomical. And I asked, I asked Andrew, like, how, how, how did you guys do this in the sort of expensive age of, of, of Facebook and Google? And he basically said to me, you have to create your own marketing channel. And that, you know, light went off. It's like, oh my God, you do have to create your own marketing channel. Mm-hmm. Like if his marketing channel is, you know, the back of the, the sort of the back of, uh, gym, uh, locker doors, you know, there's the, that's like the new sort of billboard for him. What's mine. That was really, really interesting. So you brought up an interesting point of, you know, there is so much competition out there in any industry. So there's a company in Boston called Drift that their marketing software, and they know how crowded the industry is for marketing solutions that they're building their foundation on brand. Yeah. So, so how do you think about brand and how do you build like a, you know, a successful consumer brand with the noise that's out there? So I think more important, I mean, more importantly than ever, I think brand is really, really important um, because I think consumers want to align themselves with people that have the same, you know, in my case, design sensibility, um, aesthetics, values, all of these things, because there's so much noise, I think they're looking for, they're looking for people to collaborate with them in their lives. And that has to feel authentic to them. I think it has, the brands have to feel authentic. So I think, you know, the days when you could just make up a brand and market it to the extent you could afford are gone. So I think, you know, even look at Wayfair, even they had to pivot from being all of the URLs in the world, you know, directing back to home products to consolidating all that and having one central brand. So I think it's paramount. And how do you go about like separating, like, like you personally have your own brand, right? But you have a company that has its own brand. So how do you you know, leverage your brand that you've built personally to translate into the inside, but also keep it, you know, so that it's not just you, that's the brand. Well, I also like, I have legacy businesses too. So I I have to be very thoughtful about how I do that. I mean, I have a legacy licensing business that requires me as, as a brand to sort of be part of that narrative as well. With, with, with the inside, I wanted to be very thoughtful about, about brand versus personal brand versus, because I think having gone through the Wayfair things, so much of my own personal brand and like my life was invested in Dwell Studio that that transition was very difficult. So I didn't want to make the mistake the second time around because I also, you know, never thought I was going to sell that company. I never, because I I could never envision a world where all of a sudden e-commerce was everything. I mean, it was 15 years before that was even a possibility. Um, so I think this time I'd be very thoughtful because I also think, you know, if what, whatever the trajectory of the business is, if there's an acquirer, they're going to want the brand to stand on its own in the same way that I want the brand to stand on its own. So I think that that's very important. I think, you know, I, I think it's a very delicate balance, but I think it's possible and I'm being very thoughtful about that too. And also the sort of the way businesses are run is very different today, right? I mean, it's much, much more of a collaborative effort, which I personally love, you know, it's like being in a design studio, but in this case, we're incorporating everything, whether it's ops or marketing or, but it's a collaborative, uh, it's a collaborative, uh, culture. I mean, ours is a collaborative culture. I think generally the more successful businesses are a collaborative culture. So I don't want to necessarily also foster like the founder led face of the business culture, because I, I think that that, that, that doesn't speak to everybody who's involved. And my team is fantastic. So. And, and to that, to that other point. So, uh, I, 
you know, for non-technical founders, mm-hmm. like you're building a tech company. So am, w- yeah. what advice would you give to, you know, the non-technical founders that need to build a sophisticated, uh, you know, offering that is, you know, technology driven? I mean, I think that, I think that most business, most businesses now, I think if they're e-commerce driven, it's going, there's going to be a big technology component because what you're doing is you're optimizing for the customer experience all the time. And that doesn't matter where you, you know, whether you're selling socks or, you know, whether you're selling personalized furniture. So, so much of it is how, how easy you can make the customer experience. And that requires some level of technical build. Um, I think, you know, it's pretty hard to scale a business from a totally off the shelf, uh, you know, a totally off the shelf uh, solution. Like, gonna, how do you find have, somebody to help out with that? Like, like, do you find a great CTO, a VP of engineering, or is it advisors? And, you know, how do you actually, qual- you know, qualify their experience to, to help out your business? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's, it depends on your business, but a little bit of all of the above. I mean, um, I, I think you need two, two really sort of fundamental, um, uh, building blocks for your business. One is to make sure that there's somebody watching the finances very, very closely and reporting into you on a near constant basis. Um, especially if you raise money and you're, you have to be cognizant of burn. And the other thing is, I, I think very early on you need to get, um, some good, uh, some good engineering help to make sure that you're, you're building the right product. I mean, we have gone through, I mean, in our very, very short, uh, lifespan, we have gone through, we're into our third build because, you know, we, we started on Shopify and we grew that to like a certain level, but then we had too many variants for their system. And so we have to build our own, we have to build our own proprietary tech from the ground up. So I had to get, I had to get sort of fluent in that very quickly. Yeah. Cause it's complex. I was on your website and obviously it, you know, the customization piece, it's, there's so many different variables and options like you mentioned. So yeah, it's really complex. So, you know, that's a hurdle that just came at me, <laughs> but you figure it out, you know, you figure it out. Yeah. You build the plane while you're flying it. Exactly. That's what you got to do as a successful entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Now, how about the fundraising process? Like what was that like for the inside? Um, well, it's, you know, it's pretty arduous. Like I I didn't know, I had no idea because I hadn't really fundraised for Dwell Studio. Um, you know, I initially, the initially, um, I'm Kirsten Green is my at Forerunner is my investor. And she was our, she was very early on. She sort of wrote the pre-seed check. She had allowed us to do um, all of the sort of backend supply chain research, the, the, you know, the MVP website, which turned out not to be, um, and then, uh, worked with a, you know, the capital allowed us to work with a great branding agency to think about how to bring the vision online in a, in a very coherent way. And that was great. I mean, it was great. She has so much, she does, you know, nobody better at, in consumer as far as I'm concerned. And then we, we actually did a real fundraise, um, after that, which was, which was, I mean, you know, a real learning experience for me. It is not easy. Um, it is really time consuming. Um, it is humbling in ways that are, you know, because in your mind, it's entrepreneur's mind, it's the greatest idea ever because that's why you do it. Um, and then you go out in the world and, and people can punch holes in your thesis all over town. And so, you know, there are good days, they're really good days and they're really bad days. Um, and it was really interesting. 
but you know what, net net, we ended up with great partners on the on the seed series, and you know what, we're gearing up for a for an A. So, what what advice would you give to you know founders that are you know starting to raise capital? Like, how to what's the best way to you know, find the right investors, right? You found, you know, uh, a great partner at Forerunner that was patient with you, right? And that's so important. Like, so what advice would you give to other founders on finding the right investment? I mean, I, I would think that there's a couple of things, you know, people that are, are you know, if you're a consumer or tech or, you know, was people that are A, familiar with your industry, um, I think is really important. B, people that are strategic. So the closer they are to what you do or, or the more they understand what you do, probably the more they're going to be helpful to you. Um, and then people that are aligned with your timeline. So to your point, you know, I think Pearson knows this industry very well. The home furnishings industry has, has, you know, has not really been disrupted online yet, aside from Wayfair, which is, you know, largely a platform. So, um, so platform businesses like Wayfair and Overstock and Amazon, obviously, like those things exist out in the e-commerce ecosystem, but disrupting it beyond that, it's just starting to happen in our industry because it's big and it's fragmented and it's manufacturing. I mean, it's all these, you know, all these variables that are, that are you, you, at me, even I, I can't control them. I can put them together and I can use my relationships and push it forward to the extent I can. But if my manufacturer can't get my product out on time, largely there's not much I can do about that. So it's, 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 it's hard to disrupt this, this industry. Um, so I had, to, I had to find people that understood that and that were aligned with the vision. And instead of giving me you know, two years, will give me four. So I, I was, it, it, we sort of put it through the lens of, you know, to me, it's the Venn between who is strategic, who understands the business, who, uh, you know, who, uh, who has experience, who's in consumer. So it was, it was kind of, you have to put your, your Venn together. And then it sort of becomes clear who the right people to talk to are. Now, as you're building a team, obviously it comes down to the people and hopefully, you know, building the right team to drive yeah. the success of a company. So how do you evaluate talent, you know, at a, you know, a company like, you know, like the inside, it's, you know, relatively early stage, but uh, so, so how do you evaluate the right people to bring in? Um, I think, th I think that, that ends up being the secret sauce of every company that if you can hire, attract and hire the right kind of talent, that's the game changer. So uh, for me, it's, I, I want at this stage in the, in the business, I want people with experience um, because we don't have time to like catch people up, if that makes sense. I want people that are athletes who are, have the ability to, you know, even my CMO is, you know, into the PR. She's, you know, people that are, that are able to, to hit multiple things in the, in the business and in the day, as opposed to just siloed. Um, and that people are like philosophically aligned with us. And, you know, our thing is like, roll up your sleeves. Let's get this done. We have a huge opportunity. It's ours to lose. And, you know, take your, take your piece of the, of the puzzle and own it. Now you're involved in lots of different things. We've talked about, you know, the company you're building, you know, you're writing books, you know, you have these other things that you're doing. You're a mom. So what's, how do you manage your time? Like, how are you able to juggle so many things at once? I mean, I don't know that I'm managing my time to be totally honest. <laughs> I think it's, it's just one foot in front of the other. Like that's how I sort of take down the day. And I wake up in the morning, I look at the calendar and 
I, you know, try and figure out how to, you know, get some writing done here between this meeting and thinking about creative here. And I just, it's, it's, it's a very imperfect system and it kind of bothers me. And I'm trying to figure out how to, how to make that system perfect. You know, people talk about, about balance a lot. Like at this point, I'm just trying to make it through the day. (laughs) Um, because I know, I know as I scale the team, I know that, I know that it's not a long-term problem. And so as I scale the team and put people in place, you know, that kind of pressure will be alleviated, but I'm also used to it. So I will say this though. I mean, the, the, the first company I started, I had no kids and the, the throwing in, um, the kids, especially at the the stage, my kids are minor, minor 11 and, and 13. So you and I are in sort of the same um, the same life cycle. Right. I mean, this is when you need to really parent. This is when you need to be home and you need to be involved and you need to be, you know, shaping things in a way that, that you didn't necessarily when they were little. And it was like, you know, much more about naps and schedules and things like right. that. So I'm finding that to be a pretty interesting juggle, I have to say. Yeah, and so no, obviously, no. you know, my time has to fall on, on the side of taking care of my kids, which is, you know, why I'm sitting here at home doing this because, you know, my son's sick. So, but you can figure it out. That's the other, you know, that is the other upside of all of the, all of this, you know, infrastructure being in the cloud. You can really work from anywhere. Yeah. No, it's amazing what you can do now and just juggle things from multiple locations. Mm-hmm. It's uh, yeah, it's game changing. I think, it, you know, there's a, there's a pro and the con that I'm sure everyone agrees with. The pro is, you know, you can be a better parent because you can still do things on the, like in my car right before my kid's field hockey game, right? Or, but then on the flip side, you're always on, you know, cause you're always accessible. Yeah. The accessible, yeah, the accessibility thing is, and, I, and also then as a parent, like you've got to sort of balance the being accessible and then being present. And yeah. so I think that, that's something that, that, that's something that's unique to our generation of parents. Mm-hmm. I mean, our parents didn't have to do that because if the phone rang, they ignored it. You know? Yeah. Um, now, obviously, you're growing the team at the inside. So, um, you know, so what are you hiring for at the moment? We are hiring for um, a marketing position. So, uh, you know, a director level of marketing. And we are hiring for um, a PR coordinator. So really sort of digging into the marketing um, side of the business. That's exciting. Yeah. Well, Christiane, thanks so much for taking the time for sharing all your background, obviously the great things you're doing with the inside, and of course, all this great advice and the stories you shared. Yeah, well, it's my pleasure anytime. Thank you, too. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.